Welcome to Indie Film Weekly, a No Film School podcast. I'm Liz Nord, Editor-in-Chief of No Film School. I'm Emily Booter, Managing Editor of No Film School. And I'm John Fusco, Producer at No Film School. On this week's show, we'll talk about the big fall festival lineups, how Ava DuVernay continues to get awesome, Sony's stab at Red with a new raw file format, an app that helps you find the golden hour, and as always, we'll cover more news you can use about gear, upcoming deadlines, new film releases, and Ask No Film School. Welcome to this week's show. As always, we're coming at you from downtown Brooklyn, New York, home of No Film School, and we're here to bring you everything you might have missed while you were busy making films. Our news uh, right now is that Emily's back and the gang's all here. Yay! How was your trip, Emily? We missed you so much. It was very politically charged. I was in Israel, so I learned all about the Middle Eastern conflict going on there, and it was very culturally heavy, and I made a lot of really good friends. So overall, very involved, very great. So we're really especially glad you're back and that we're all here because we are starting to ramp up for the big fall festival season. We actually started to put our schedule together yesterday and realized that we'll be covering festivals and conferences for almost the entire month of September straight. We are heading to Toronto International Film Festival, one of the the biggest and most important festivals in North America. We are going to Camden International Film Festival, and here at home we'll be all over IFP Week and the New York Film Festival, which are just back to back to back all of September. So if you guys out there are going to any of these, please let us know. Or if you have films in the festival, let us know so we can interview you and so we can meet up and hang out. Some of the lineups were released this past week. So New York Film Festival released their kind of headlining films and TIFF released their doc lineup. Have you guys had a chance to look those over at all? Yeah, I noticed that a lot of the uh, movies are very similar to, at least for New York Film Festival, are very similar to Con. Can't God. <laughs> you can say can. God we're American. It. Well, it's can, isn't it? We, yeah, this is something that we're in America. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah, notice that they're very similar to Can. So um, maybe you should talk about it a little bit. I actually saw and wrote about a bunch of these films at Can this year, but the one I'm actually most excited for is Kelly Reichardt's Certain Women. Reichardt's one of my favorite directors, and her subtly and morally ambiguous Meeks cutoff, which was about Oregon Trail travelers, was basically made for me and my obsession with manifest destiny in American history. With certain women, Reichardt returns to her fascination with the American West. The film stars Laura Dern, Michelle Williams, and Kristen Stewart as three women living in Montana, leading very different lives. New York Film Festival describes it as a work of no-nonsense eloquence. And it's shot in 16 millimeter, so date me. What? <laughs> what does that mean? I don't get it either. <laughs> it means like my best movie ever. Oh, okay. So if this movie was a person, you'd want it to date you. Yes, please you, ask me out this you, movie. You don't want a date for going to see this movie. At That's New York what Christmas. I thought too. Oh, no, 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 Are you no, sure? No, 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 no. <laughs> Put it out there. 10,000 listeners strong. <laughs> Okay, that's a no. (laughs) (laughs) Silence, radio silence. (laughs) That actually does sound really interesting. And it's, I mean, those three actresses are so different. So I'll be curious kind of like what their on-screen chemistry is like. Me too. Reichardt has a way of bringing out the most natural elements of actors. So it'll be really good for someone like Laura Dern and Kristen Stewart, both of whom are sort of known for being very composed actors. Yeah, and when New York Film Festival put out the the news of this lineup, 
they specifically mentioned that several of the films have strong female leads. So this is right in line with that. And go New York Film Festival for making a point of it. What about you, John? Well, I was going to say, speaking of strong female leads, one movie that's making its premiere in Toronto, unsurprisingly, because he's Canadian, is Villeneuve's new movie, Arrivals, um, which stars Amy Adams. But I'm most excited for it because it's Villeneuve's uh, latest work, and it's a sci-fi, which is awesome because his next movie is going to be a remake of Blade Runner, which is one of my all-time favorite sci-fi movies. Um, if not movies in general, it's a little worrying that he's going to, you know, that they're making a remake of Blade Runner. I don't think it's really necessary. And it, it actually, it, it might be a sequel now that I think about it, which is even kind of scarier of a prospect. But if anyone can do it, it's him. And this is going to be sort of a sneak peek into what he can do in the sci-fi genre, which is one of my favorites. So um, I'm really excited. It's about a translator i guess who is chosen to be the first human to make contact with a group of aliens that has arrived on planet earth Ooh, it's also cool that they program sci-fi films some of these it's not so typical at these highbrow festivals to program sci-fi as opposed to like a more traditional drama so i'm psyched i feel like we've seen a lot of sci-fi art house films in the past few years sort of yeah. a, a trend that's kind of Shane Carruth's thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and same with like Midnight Special. Right. Um, there's been some really good sci-fi and, I mean, Stranger Things, too. Uh, it's uh, it's going through a rebirth right now. Well, everyone who listens to this show knows I'm the doc person, so of course I have to talk about docs. And some of the biggest names in documentary, including our good friend Werner Herzog and Errol Morris, both have new films premiering at Toronto. I'm excited about a film by uh, lesser-known directors Shirley Abraham and Amit Madashia. I'm sorry, Amit, if I mispronounced your last name. Anyway, it's a film from India. It's called The Cinema Travelers, and it's about projectionists who travel around screening films in small Indian villages. And, you know, sometimes I appreciate docs that aren't so politically heavy-handed, but just celebrate the magic of cinema or of life in general. Now, on the flip side of that coin, um, a very heavy political doc is opening New York Film Fest. It's being headlined with Ava DuVernay's documentary, The 13th, which uh, uses the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution as a basis for indictment of the American prison industrial complex. It's going to be pretty hard-hitting, I imagine. Is it about the school-to-prison pipeline or about the the industrial complex as its own institution? I think it's about all the kind of factors that stem from the 13th Amendment that have like ended up with our sort of insane incarceration system in this country. Gotcha. That item also brings us to our next headline, which is basically that Ava DuVernay continues to be awesome. I honestly don't know when this woman sleeps. I mean, she's got that film coming out, and it was just announced last week that she would be directing the upcoming film adaptation of one of my favorite young adult sci-fi books, back to sci-fi, A Wrinkle in Time. Did you guys read that one? Absolutely, positively. It was a huge part of my childhood. No. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like, honestly, I feel like it was one of the sci-fi series, Madeline Langle series, that brought sci-fi to girls. It's got a strong female lead, right? It does, and it's also very heavily philosophical, so it taps into that budding young philosopher's mindset, and really, 
in the vein of the giver, it kind of blows your mind when you're that age. I actually took this test um, that the, I think it was the New York Times posted. There's a big bookstore in New York City called the Strand Bookstore. And to be able to actually get a job there, you have to like take this test that matches um, famous works of literature to their correct author. And that book was one of the ones you had to match. And did you get it right? Yeah. Oh, good. No, I'm happy to you. read it and or see Ava DuVernay's film. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is significant to us, not only because it's bound to be nerdy and awesome, as we've just discussed, but because DuVernay is a director with really indie roots. I mean, you might know her from her twice Oscar nominated film Selma, which was not, you know, a tiny budget production. But before that, she did a self-financed $50,000 feature called I Will Follow, which she um, followed up with the $200,000 film Middle of Nowhere. And both of those budgets are considered no budget by Hollywood standards. And even more significantly, DuVernay will be the first African-American woman ever to helm a live action feature with a budget over 100 million bucks. The first ever. Excuse my French, but that's fucking awesome. It's awesome and also like surprising, like even though we keep saying the numbers and we hear that there's disparity in Hollywood, like what? How is this possible? In fact, only two other women in history have directed live action films with a budget even in this range. Two other women ever. The first was Catherine Bigelow in 2002 with a film I never even heard of, K-19 The Widowmaker. Um, It's a submarine movie. Oh, see. A genre in and of itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been missing out on the submarine gen- genre all these years. They call me Submarine John. <laughs> <laughs> it's your genre. Oh, boy. The second film in this range is also only coming up right now. It's Patty Jenkins, who's directing next year's Wonder Woman. Yeah, I, I think that DuVernay was actually slated to direct Black Panther for a while. So, she was. So maybe she would probably have that title if she had chosen to done that. But I, I don't know why she... Would have rejected that and then gone on to do another Disney sci-fi movie. It's 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 strange, but I think it was one of those creative differences. Yeah, separations. Yeah, that would make sense. Maybe well, this was a better fit. Yeah. Yeah, and Coogler's directing Black Panther now, so that's, that's oh, be and they're friends, awesome. so it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it in the family. Mm-hmm. And well. Duvernay's worked with Oprah before, and um, Oprah. What does she have to do? She's in A Wrinkle in Time. Oh. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Not only that, but there's a series, Queen Sugar, that DuVernay created for Oprah's network, and that's actually debuting on September 6th. Every episode of the first season was directed by a woman, including several indie filmmakers like Kat Candler of Hellion, which was an awesome movie, and So Young Kim of Treeless Mountain. It's just so encouraging to see indie filmmakers and women and people of color lifting each other up and starting to make the industry reflect the real world. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I just still can't understand how Ava DuVernay sleeps. Not like, how does she sleep at night? But like, when does she have time? She's got this TV series, all these movies. She's constantly churning out stuff. Hardest working woman in Hollywood. How does she sleep at night when she's so awesome? (laughs) Not to bring it back to New York, uh, but tonight, the the night that this podcast airs, Selma is actually playing at Brooklyn Bridge Park um, as part of their free Summer in the Park series. So that's the best place in New York to see a movie uh, if you Second haven't been. Second that. Yeah, it's awesome. So go see it if you uh, are here and have some time. Moving on to gear news. Sony is once again trying to overthrow Red when it comes to raw file technology. They just developed a new file format that's slated for release called the 
X-O-C-N. So here's just a little brief rundown of what that actually means. Red has developed a sort of file compression that's sort of the standard for raw files in today's filming industry. So the benefits of shooting raw are that uh, you sort of get to skip all the in-camera processing. You even could skip setting ISO levels or like aperture levels or shutter speed levels if you wanted to because you could do all that stuff in post later with a raw file. You get the largest amount of information for manipulation in post with raw files. Um, but because of that, those raw files are pretty friggin' huge, um, which means, you know, it takes longer to download and also upload later on and post. As I said before, the red format .r3d is sort of the standard for this type of file these days. And this format offers the benefits of RAW with more manageable file sizes. But Sony believes that it's just not small and manageable enough. So what they're doing with this new XOCN format is trying to create a product with a great combination of reasonable file size and impressive quality which is virtually identical to Red's RAW format. You can check out the comparison chart online in the accompanying article, and this new XOCN format is available in both standard and light versions. The light comes in at about one-third the data rate of the traditional RAW file for the same settings. Could be a pretty good technology. Besides small file sizes, another thing that cinematographers are always chasing is the golden hour, otherwise known as magic hour, or Terrence Malick's favorite toy. It's that fabled stretch of time right after sunset and before sunrise, giving the light a honey-golden warm glow. When sunlight is filtered through a greater surface area of the Earth's atmosphere, it scatters more blue wavelengths, resulting in a yellow-orange tint. Shooting at golden hour has a lot of advantages, and some of them are enabling your subject to look directly into the sunlight without squinting, because otherwise they would be squinting while looking directly into the sun. You can also create silhouettes more easily at golden hour. You can generate rim lighting and flare by backlighting your subjects. And shooting at golden hour produces more defined and longer shadows with the light's added dimensionality. The thing is, golden hour is a bit of a misnomer because it actually only lasts about 25 minutes. Of course, this makes Malik's decision to shoot almost exclusively at golden hour a nightmare for his entire crew, but a new app called Golden Hour is about to change all that. By predicting what it terms the sky index, or the chance for a dramatic sky, and the light index, or the quality of light, the app basically tells you, based on a location that you can toggle on a map, exactly when the optimal conditions for golden hour will occur for your shoot. As Terrence Malick says, The nuns taught us there are two ways through life. The way of nature, and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. Another cool article we put up this week was a little bit of a tutorial on how you can upgrade your Zoom H1 recorder for only $15 into sort of the H4N model, which, if you don't know, is uh, the next level of Zoom's H products. I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, the Zoom H1 is one of the cheapest and best handheld recorders of its kind. Not only does it record pro quality audio, but it's really small, so it makes it super portable. Plus, it's really affordable at 100 bucks. The only major downside is that it doesn't have any XLR inputs, which for all intents and purposes is kind of a big deal if you're trying to get professional quality audio. Basically, that means you can't hook up any professional microphone or recording equipment to it. 
but Caleb Pike of DSLR Video Shooter has created a super cheap way to add two XLR inputs plus two outputs for monitoring to the H1 using about 15 bucks and 20 bucks worth of jacks, splitters, and adapters. So what these jacks do are they allow you to plug in XLR cables, which give you the ability to use two professional microphones. The splitter then gives you two outputs so you can plug in your headphones as well as run a line to your camera. You can check out the video of how he does this in the article, or you could skip all the trouble and just buy the Zoom H4n, which I was talking about earlier, which already has two XLR inputs as well as a 3.5 millimeter line output for headphones for your camera. It's only 60 bucks cheaper than the H1, so you know, only 40 bucks cheaper than the H1 with the DIY hack. If you don't have an H1, just get the H4n. Moving on to grant and opportunity deadlines, the 14th annual American Zoetrope Screenplay Contest has its early deadline on August 15th, and it's cheaper to apply at this early deadline, so if you can, do it. If you don't know, American Zoetrope is Francis Ford Coppola's production company. This year is a sign of the times. This contest has also been opened up to one-hour original television pilots. It's a great opportunity not only to make some cash, but you can get your script into the hands of some crazy powerful industry professionals. The winner and nine honorable mentions will be considered for representation by many of America's best management companies and agencies. Ten finalists are chosen by the American Zoetrope staff, from which Francis Ford Coppola himself will pick the grand prize winner. That winner receives $5,000. If you are a producer of color looking to develop documentary programs for public television, you're in luck. The ITVS Diversity Development Fund has a deadline of August 19th, and they provide up to 15 grand in research and development funding for you. Um, This is really special because it's hard to get funding at that early stage. So the funded activities for this grant include things like travel, research, script development, preliminary production for work in progress reels, or other kind of early phase activities. They're looking for single public television programs on any subject, viewpoint, or style that will bring new audiences to public television and expand civic participation. That's a pretty unique one. For all of our subversive content creators out there, if you're making uncompromising or original work, you can apply to BitTorrent's Discovery Fund, which is awarding up to $100,000 to creators with innovative works in progress. All BitTorrent requires in exchange is a 30-day exclusivity window on its platform. And beyond that, you can retain the rights to your work. So clearly here, BitTorrent is attempting to reverse its brand identity as one that's synonymous with piracy. It's yet another bid to empower creators, and the Discovery Fund's Devil May Care slogan even reads, quote, we don't buy content because fuck content, because music and film is more than that, because outside voices need to be heard. We get you, BitTorrent. I do have a question. Um, does that include shorts too, or is that is that like any project, or is it just features? Or They are so unspecific. It even applies to musicians and artists. So I assume that it's practically anything on the under the umbrella of content. I wonder if that sort of environment, um, since they do have that sort of like 30-day exclusivity period, um, can that be something that occurs after a festival run? Or do you think that your project would have to go to BitTorrent first? No, we know it can occur after a festival run because Collective Unconscious won this and was one of their first releases. So, And we, we of course, saw that film at festivals this past year and covered it. But I would caution filmmakers, like, at first glance, this seems like an amazing deal. Like, it's a hundred grand for, like, weird projects. But 
And with Collective Unconscious, they knew from the get-go that they wanted their film out there for free, so they weren't going for traditional distribution deals. But I would definitely caution filmmakers that if you think your film has a chance at a more mainstream or um, larger audience and isn't kind of fringy or, or niche in a certain way, you may want to think twice before going this route because if you offer 30 days of exclusivity to BitTorrent, then larger outlets like Netflix are unlikely to ever pick you up. Oh, so this is more of a distribution deal sort of than a grant for producing the film that you're working on? Yeah, they want they want to give you money to make the project, but since they're a distribution platform, that's what they're that's what you're going to get out of it. We've got some festival deadlines coming up. On August 15th, the Twin Cities Arab Film Festival has their deadline. This one is in St. Paul, Minnesota. They're looking for films made by Arab or Arab-American filmmakers or films about the Arab-American experience. And they're having their 11th festival this fall. In my hometown of San Francisco, we've got the Flying Robot International Film Festival, maybe the coolest film festival name ever. On August 15th, that's the deadline, It runs from October 14th to 16th this year, and it's an open competitive film festival that's focused on aerial cinema created from drones. Participation in the festival is open to anyone, anywhere with an internet connection, which is pretty awesome. Your film must be five minutes or less, and it does not need to exclusively contain aerial footage. It just needs to have a story, meaning it can't just be test footage of your backyard. Cash prizes will be awarded in all categories, including Best of Show and People's Choice winners. And also with a deadline on August 15th is the Northwest Filmmakers Festival, which runs in Portland, Oregon from November 10th to 15th. It was called the Northwest Film and Video Festival for 38 years, but the Northwest Filmmakers Festival is now in its 43rd year, and it's the region's premier showcase for filmmakers. This region includes Alaska, British Columbia, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, and Washington. Entries originating from outside one of those states or provinces are not even accepted, so don't think about it. Don't you dare. That's interesting that they made the switch from calling themselves the Film and Video Festival to the Filmmakers Festival. It's kind of cool that it's like filmmaker-centric. It would make me want to apply, although I am not from there. But I will say I've shown uh, films in Portland before, and it was a very receptive audience. Moving on to our favorite Ask No Film School segment. We got kind of a very specific, slightly random uh, question this week, which I'm excited that that, uh, Emily actually has an answer for. Ahmad Amori asked us, how good is the Prague Film School? So I studied abroad in Prague in college, but I actually did that because I wanted a break from film school. So I studied some esoteric things like post-war Eastern European literature, but that's neither here nor there. My friend Mandy Mandelstein, a video editor at Gawker, actually studied at Prague Film School while I was there. It's also known as FAMU. So if you hear that, it's not a weird misspelling of a whale from a movie. <laughs> it's the Prague Film School. That's that's not a whale from a movie. That's a whale. <laughs> that's the whale from SeaWorld. Oh. <laughs> Should I do that again? Actually, I don't know. Maybe Shamu was the whale in Free Willy, but who knows? Or was it Willy? We'll cover that next week on Ask No Film School. <laughs> anyway, maybe it's called Famu because you get famous if you go there. <laughs> Oh, no. I don't get it. Oh, famous. <laughs> it's my accent. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good one. All right. Here's what Mandy Mandelstein has to say about FAMU. 
quote, I only spent a semester studying there, and in some ways I felt that the time I spent there was more intensive than my time at NYU. The programs are much more specialized, so your professors know their craft in and out, and approach the subject matter from a much more technical perspective. One of our classes was taught by an engineer who worked for Kodak for 30 years. The curriculum there was much more focused on learning the technical craft and artistry in order to explore your creative ideas. Alternatively, my experience at NYU was geared towards learning Hollywood and American television style filmmaking. So that sounds like a yes. That sounds like a pretty good experience to have. And you'll be in Prague, which is an awesome city. Yeah. I think it's I think it's great if you're going the European filmmaking route. That's sort of the epicenter of European film school. So if that's what you're into, go there. Do you know uh, anything about how much cost-wise the difference is between, say, going to FAMU and uh, NYU? I don't, but I can only imagine that it's cheaper. Yeah, probably way cheaper. I Sounds like if I was in his shoes, I would go to Prague because that sounds awesome. But maybe that's also because I went to NYU and I'm biased. But Well, please thank Mandy for us for weighing in. And uh, Ahmad, good luck. Let us know what you decide to do. And here are the movies coming out on various streaming platforms and actual theaters this week. Coming out on Amazon Prime on August 12th, which is Friday, is the Danish film A Royal Affair. It was directed by Nikolai Arcel and stars Alicia Vikander and Mads Mikkelsen. It was Alicia Vikander's real breakout role, came out in 2012. It was about a young queen who's married to an insane king who falls secretly in love with her physician, and together they start a revolution that changes the place where Danish people live forever. What is the place where Danish people live, Emily? Denmark. There you go. It was nominated for the 2012 Best Foreign Film Oscar from Denmark. Coming out on Netflix is a little movie called No Country for Old Men. That's going to be there as of tonight. And I haven't seen it in a while. And I haven't seen it on any streaming platforms in a while. So I'm definitely going to give it a watch. This is a Coen Brothers classic. We probably don't need to say much about it. Javier Bardem, Cattle Lots Gun. Of silences, Silence. Lots of rolling tumbleweed. Mm. Lots, lots of, of guns. Killing. Not even air, air. It's like an air gun. Oh, yeah, it's that. true. A cattle, a cattle gun. For all of you who don't know, farmers use pressurized air to kill their cows. Spoiler alert. Finally hitting theaters this week was one of my favorite movies that I saw at Sundance. And I've actually talked about it on this show, I think, a little bit before. Uh, it's a movie called Joshi. It was written and directed by Jeff Baina, who wrote I Heart Huckabees, and whose feature debut was the indie smash hit Life After Beth with Aubrey Plaza. The movie's pretty much entirely improvised, um, and the cast does an amazing job, and you can afford to have an entirely improvised movie when the cast is comprised of Thomas Middleditch, Nick Kroll, Brett Gelman, Adam Paley, Jenny Slate, and even Alex Ross Perry, who gives, I think, his first acting performance ever in it, and he's fantastic. They all kill it, though. The movie's about a man whose fiance commits suicide a few months before his wedding, but he decides to have the bachelor party weekend in Ojai anyway. And I liked it so much that after I saw it at Sundance, I went and saw it again at Bam Cinema Fest. So you guys should all check it out if it's uh, coming out to a theater near you. It's going into limited release, so look for it. And also on Friday, the highly anticipated Pete's Dragon by David Lowry is coming out. It's a Disney remake about the adventures of an orphan boy named Pete and his best friend Elliot, who just happens to be a very nice dragon. <laughs> 
uh, David Lowry got his start doing independent films like Eighth and Body Saints, which you all should see. It's one, it's a riff on the classic, you know, run and gun Western story, but it's very beautifully shot and it also stars Rooney Mara. So I feel like every week on the show, I end up talking about how friggin' old I am, but I still remember the first Pete's Dragon and how sweet it was. And it was one of the first um, cinematic examples of a mixed live action and animated film. And um, so I hope this one is, you know, equally as sweet and good. I think it will be. David Lowry has a big emotional pull in his films. So I can only imagine he would suffuse this one with that. He actually started from the bottom, the real bottom. He was living out of the back of his car editing corporate videos before he got his start in film. And now he's on to a multi-million dollar Disney remake. So that's pretty awesome for him. Another interesting thing about Lowry is that he's got a blog that stretches back 12 years in his career, and it's very self-effacing and intimate, and it gives you sort of an insider's look on a lot of production struggles he's faced, and it kind of functions as a production diary, but it also it also chronicles the time in between production, so if you're interested in getting kind of the narrative of a career from zero to 100... I would highly recommend reading his blog. Well, we should definitely do a post about it on No Film School, and that makes me want to root for Lowry and the film even more. So um, I guess animation is the theme right now because another animated feature is coming out on the 12th, Sausage Party. It's written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. It's kind of an adult food toy story, as John described it. Yeah, it's like food talking, like toys talking. So they like gave life to food and not toys. God, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> Literally anything probably. Well, it's not only just it's not only food talking, it's raunchy food talking. It uh, it made waves at South by Southwest this year um, where they kind of did a sneak preview of the film for its outrageous tone and it's got, you know, a bunch of people we'd expect voicing the hot dogs and burgers. Michael Sarah, he's like kind of a hot dog guy. James Franco, more of a burger, in my view. There's Bill Hader. Like he's more of a kebab person, yeah, I think, like Bill a, Hader. Oh, Bill Hader? Yeah. I was saying James Franco is probably like kale. Oh, yeah. Oh, or I like soy burger, mango chicken. He's like yeah, yeah, flat. Yeah. Like a wah, vegan wah. option. Okay, okay, let's say Franco's a veggie burger. Can we all agree on that? Yes. Yep, that sounds good. Anyway, Hater, Jonah Hill, Anders Holm, Nick Kroll, who we just talked about a second ago from... Uh, Joshy. From Joshy. Danny McBride, Craig Robinson, Rogan himself, my favorite, Paul Rudd, and Kristen Wiig. Surprisingly, the film uh, is also voiced by a couple of the less usual suspects, Salma Hayek and Ed Norton. Who is definitely a flank steak. While we're on unorthodox releases... Um, another rather unorthodox release happened this past week, and we shouldn't be at all surprised given its directors. We've covered these guys, the filmmaking duo Daniels, namely Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, on the site a bunch. And most recently, John interviewed them about their outrageous feature film, Swiss Army Man, featuring another Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe, as naturally a farting corpse. Now, uh, the duo has put out an interactive short film with 16 possible iterations for viewers who click around. The interactive short is called Possibilia, and it's starring Alex Karpovsky and Zoe Jarman. You can read my full interview with them about the project, as well as watch the entire interactive short on No Film School this week. But here's an excerpt of Daniels speaking about why they were interested in doing an interactive short film in the first place, and one of its specific challenges. Daniel Scheinert speaks first. We were drawn to it, you know, because... 
it's a fun challenge. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times our music videos are are really crazy because we get bored easily. Um, <laughs> so if we made a straightforward music video, we I don't think we would be invested the whole way through. We just kind of check out at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and interactivity has had a similar um, draw for us where, like, it doesn't get boring. Like, it's hard and challenging straight up through delivery. If anything, it actually gives us permission to make um, stories that are a little more straightforward because we're working in a medium that's not as, like, oversaturated with um, content. Yeah, and there's a, there's a higher likelihood for failure. I think I think we kind of chase projects that uh, that we we might fail at because then it forces us to to stay on top of the uh, of the project and like uh, it kind of terrifies us. We, I totally underappreciated how the smallest changes of like where you put buttons and how they work will mm-hmm. affect a viewer, you know, and how like how frustrated a viewer will get if they if it doesn't work the way they think it will. Um, mm-hmm. We've, we've probably done like six different versions of this where like the changes are so small that they take forever, you know, just like where you can click and what happens when you click and what's the sound effect and how loud is that sound? Is there enough feedback? Is there too much feedback? You know, you, you can't like overestimate how important those little things are. Thank you all so much for joining us. You can find a lot of the stuff we talked about, plus links to the grants, etc., on the post associated with this podcast at nofilmschool.com you can find me on twitter at lizfilm and me on twitter at el booter at jim underscore john underscore jim jim john jim 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 john jim i thought about that one all week someone actually man you've been busy this week um, someone actually tweeted at us last week, and I was so impressed that they got all of our handles correct. We love hearing from you guys. Speaking of which, please do rate us and comment and give us lots of stars and subscribe on iTunes. And meanwhile, we'll see you next week. Catch you later. Catch you later.